2: And uh, Before I welcome my guest today, Sean Casemore, uh, who's going to talk with me about how to lead, motivate and inspire operational people, I'd like to say a, a big thank you to my guest last week, Matt Bird, who joined me to talk about relationshipology. Now, Matt is a fascinating character whose charitable works have been acknowledged by UK governments and prime ministers, and I thought there were some great tips in that show to help us build relationships, and I've really enjoyed dipping into his book, Relationshipology, uh, for some uh, new nuggets. Um, So as we approach uh, the Christmas time and then New Year, uh, for many of us, that is, our minds start to move towards catching up with old friends and family and giving. However, it's also a time where many of us reflect. And I'd encourage you to reflect on how 2015 could be an even better year. One important way, of course, is if you're responsible for the performance of other people in your business and you need them to move forward, or you want to be responsible, the ability to lead and to motivate and to inspire people is absolutely essential. As my wife is currently um, going around the house at the moment, sprinkling glitter uh, for our children to think that elves have visited our our, uh, house overnight, I think it's important for leaders to have the ability to also sprinkle a little bit of magic you know, a bit of magic when it comes to engaging people, and that magic can make all of the difference. My guest today, Sean Casemore, spent over seventeen years in leadership roles in operations, business improvement and supply chain management with organizations and he now runs his own company helping individuals and other companies to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of their business and on this show we're going to talk about taking charge about empowering operational teams now Sean um, has worked for companies um, like uh, Magna International, Arvin Meritor, Belwick Packaging, NCR, and Bruce Power in business improvement and supply chain management. And in 2010, he launched his own company, Casemore & Co., and he says he hasn't looked back since. Having his own business has allowed Sean the opportunity to work with and help dozens of individuals and companies to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of their business, all while engaging and empowering their employees in the process. And I'm delighted that we we interview some really high achievers on this show. My impression of Sean genuinely in what he's achieved in a short period of time, really, since 2010, and uh, looking at his website and those sorts of things is, you know, Sean is someone to watch. And I think it's tremendous having people who are really, um, you know, starting to make a real difference out there um, on the show. Uh, despite a hectic travel shed- schedule around North America, he spends downtime with his wife Julie and their two boys in the small town of Owen Sound, Ontario, which is just two hours north of Toronto. So, a big welcome to Sean Casemore.
3: Hey, Chris, thank you very much. That was uh, that was great.
2: You're very welcome. And uh, so, you live in um in uh, a couple of hours out of uh, Toronto. Uh, what's life like there?
3: Uh, well, well, as we're, uh, as we're speaking here today, it's quite cold. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting, the dynamic of the weather when you travel uh, just a couple hours north of Toronto changes considerably, but uh, it's, uh, I think Canada's a great uh, country. Um, I spend a lot of time during the week uh, living out of a suitcase, traveling mostly across North America um, but but really, Canada is quite unique. It's uh, quite a diverse culture. Uh, you know, people are very welcoming and, and open. Uh, you know, to to building relationships, and I think it's a it's a great uh, great country to be in for myself. But uh, you know, I was thinking just briefly when you mentioned about Sean's never look back. I I thought, well, the only thing I ever did look back on early uh, early uh, when mm. I departed was you know watching for the bank. But luckily, I've uh, I've lost them in, in the wake here, so it's going well. <laughs>
2: And and um, are you from Owen Sound originally? Is that where your family?
3: Yeah, I was born and raised. Uh, went off to school uh, near Toronto, actually, uh, following high school here. And, and after uh, a few years in uh, college and university, then I traveled and ended up working with Magna uh, out of Toronto, the Toronto area, and spent about. Um, I guess about ten, twelve years down in, in around Toronto, uh, working with about uh, eight different companies in six industries, uh, and then eventually returning back here. I met my wife, who had stayed back uh, in this area after you know she'd come back after school, and we decided it was a great small community to raise our our boys in. Uh, so I do quite a bit of traveling because there's not much in this area because I'm I'm two hours from most anything, but it is a, a nice peaceful place and a great place to raise kids.
2: What wonderful and and good. Imagine good for snow sports and things like that in the winter.
3: Yeah, it, it is. Although again, we, we're having cold weather, but not much snow at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there. This is the kind of year I don't really like because it's it's cold, but there's no snow, and it's not warm enough to go to the beach. So it's kind of that in between time.
2: Oh dear! Well, we have to usually usually travel for guaranteed snow. I'm, I'm delighted to say we've got a little trip to Finland next week. So. Uh, which will be cold, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and it's supposed to be very snowy at the moment, so that's good.
3: <laughs> excellent. That's excellent.
2: So so your your background then, you, you worked for these organizations, and then you decided that uh, you wanted to leave being an employee and set up your own business. Uh, you know, What was the inspiration behind doing that? Because there's maybe some people listening at the moment who are, are thinking about whether they should do the same.
3: Yeah, and, and it's interesting when I reflect on that. Um, as I mentioned, I worked in about um, – I think it was about eight different companies Um, and what had happened probably in the, in the last 10 years. So let's say uh, maybe not even, but uh, by mid 2000, let's say 2005, I really started to realize, you know, I, I wanted something different. I wanted something more for myself something that I could lead and manage. And I, I remember making a, you know, jokes to other people that the only way I'm going to ever manage anything myself is to really to create my own company. And it wasn't until probably about 2007, 2008, I, I was met with a business owner. Um, I had been doing some work through my company with his company. And we were just having a conversation. And I I trusted him. So I just mentioned the fact that I didn't know exactly where my future existed. But I appreciated uh, him being an entrepreneur uh, you know his thoughts and advice and and he made the comment he said you know Sean you've got a lot of experience in these different companies relative to managing and leading people you know in improving the process effectiveness you know he says i'd hire you in here you know even if it was just a one day a week situation just to have you help me out and and that's kind of when the light went on for me that you know I, i'm missing something here i've got a lot of experience and the one thing you find when you move across industries and organizations is that uh, a lot of the challenges are very similar so in doing so, that that's kind of when the, he planted the seed in 2008, uh, and really at that point, I started formulating a plan to to depart my corporate job and to launch my company, and that's uh, that's exactly what happened.
2: So that's and also lovely to to have an opportunity there straight away and, and not hmm. go to nothing. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah, and it was um, you know I, I was very fortunate, um, you know I, I was able to just through networking and people that I knew. Uh, one of the first things I think I did day one. Uh, was call, start calling everybody I knew. I think I come up with 200 and. Thirty-some names of people, relatives, friends, past business colleagues, I just called them up and said, "This is what I'm doing now." Um, and, and you know that was really how I got my first piece of, uh, of business, uh, relative to consulting. And then I also transitioned into I'd done quite a bit of a training, kind of on the side while I worked in a corporate job, and that led into um, more more speaking. And uh, so my business today is really in those three areas. There's um, I do quite a bit of speaking, uh, do some consulting work, and as well coaching of uh, leaders and uh, business. Business professionals.
2: Fantastic. You know, there's a really good gem there in what you've said. You know, not many people that I've met you know, start up a business and they do call the 230 names that they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people fail to do that. And I think that's a really you know, important message, actually, is you know, being prepared to do that and to get on the phone and get talking to people quickly.
3: Yeah, and, and I think it, and uh, in, in I continue to, you know, as, as probably you would agree, it, it's, a, it's a continuous journey of learning. And that's what I appreciate about being an entrepreneur today. But, it, you know, the, the idea very quickly, I had to transition my thinking from, you know, hey, I've, I've, I've got a business here. I've, I've hung out a sh- shingle, so to speak, um, and let's just see what happens. The realization that unless I'm confident in my abilities and confident that I can help other people, I'm not going to survive. Uh, and that confidence really—it it requires me. I, I have an uh, obligation to my family and to, to business owners to really reach out and say, "Look, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing, and I think I might be of help." And that, so that mindset, that success mindset, the confident mindset is, is something that's, I think, critical to success. And I'll tell you today, I can look back last year and there's things I've done this year that I never would have guessed I would have done last year. And there's things I'm planning for this coming year. And I think as you evolve and grow, you become more purposeful uh, in, in setting these stretch goals or these challenges for yourself uh, to continue to grow and expand your, your mindset and your uh, confidence.
2: Fantastic, and you've got a, a first published book uh, that you're working on as well, I believe.
3: Yeah, I've just signed an agreement with uh, McGraw Hill for uh, the working title right now is Operational Empowerment, and it, it really is all about how to empower employees in operations to be, you know, to increase productivity, uh, in, in profitability in the business. So I'm working on that. Uh, I think the final um, documents are due by early next year, and then it's about a nine month cycle till it actually hits the shelves. So that'll be late uh, 2015, early 2016. Fantastic.
2: So, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's great. Um, I, I'm also kind of wondering, with all this time, you know, you're also a father. Do you how do you find uh, fitting all of these things in with uh, with also being a dad?
3: Well, we were just speaking here before uh, before our session. I I, I had uh, it's it's a busy time of year for most people in in business. Yourself included, I think from our conversation. And the uh, I, I was sitting down on the weekend, and you know Christmas is coming, so it's you know people are chatting and getting together. And my wife was having a get together yesterday, and I could have worked all day, but I thought, you know what, I I have to force myself here to to tune out and relax. There uh, the best statement I ever heard was uh, the idea that. You know, don't go from working for a boss to being your own worst boss that you've ever had. (laughs) Good, good point. So why do you think uh, people like you,
2: you know, and, and I need to help leaders today to get even better at leading, motivating and inspiring their operational employees?
3: Well, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's a quite a, it's a broad question, but in general terms, uh, people that work in operations are of a mindset that, that you know, they're, they're, uh, they're a certain frame of person. So, for example, somebody who's into development and design of websites is a very creative person, whereas somebody who works in operations is typically comfortable with repetitiveness, you know, working in a, a high tense or a fast paced environment. And therefore it requires a different approach as to how we lead them and how we motivate them.
2: Yeah, well, that makes uh, that makes uh, an awful lot of sense. And, what, and so, when you talk about operational people, um, you you just articulated them as people who are happy with, more with routine. Um, yeah. You know, what, what sort of specific roles or, you know, or examples do you have of of, of of people who who tend to be more operational?
3: Well, I mean, you, you can look across any, I, I always say once a business sells its product or service, it has to deliver on it. And the point at which the sale is complete and that delivery mechanism kicks in, those, those are the people who are really operationally focused. So, you know, it can be anything from those, uh, you know, that are on the phones in a call center, those in the front lines of a bank dealing with customers, those in a manufacturing organization that are actually building the products uh, that are being sold or shipped to the customer. So it's kind of those people that are in the execution of that service or product uh, creation and delivery. If you can't deliver it well or if you can't produce it efficiently, then you're going to lose money. And and who wants to invest such significant money uh, and then end up losing it in the end? The, the idea is to be profitable because through profits, we can expand our reach, expand our marketing you know, and grow the business. So it, it really is a and in, it in, in kind of, I think, to many people in, in leadership positions and organizations, it's a little bit of a black hole because they rely on their, you know, VP of production or their production manager or their plant manager or their operations manager to keep them in tune with what's going on. But, you know, think about in, in most organizations, how many people are in sales or marketing or design or engineering versus how many people are actually in the operation. There's, you know, it can be anywhere from a five to one ratio to a ten to one ratio or more.
2: Mm. Uh, and I guess if you're you know, you're the leader of a business, obviously you can have lots of different leadership styles. Um quite quite often you have leaders in an organization who are maybe creative and you know innovative in their outlook and good at strategy and setting direction, vision, etc. Um, but their style can be completely the opposite in their comfort zone to someone who just who loves routine and loves operationally delivering. Um is that is that one of the problems that you see?
3: It it is, and you described it quite well. the The idea that many people who are leading, running, managing a business are are creative because you know they've they've created this idea of a business. They've been able to deliver on that. They're interacting with customers day in day out, and then the gap becomes that those people who are executing he become you know concerned with what often seem like minute details, and and that can create a, a conflict in and of itself. So the styles of people, how they think, how they behave, how they communicate. Uh, you know there's almost a distinction around those and operations that you could draw a profile of their style uh, and those often differ from the style of the very people who are leading or managing or owning the company.
2: Mm. We're going to take a commercial break now and uh, after the break we shall get into uh, some more detail about uh, some of the things that we can start to do to really engage um, operational people. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
1: facilitated leader development workshops and speeches email info at be to arrange a free no obligation consultation to see how chris and his team can help you become our friend on
0: facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
3: For 27 years, Kidstar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. Kidstar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world.
0: And we need your help.
3: Kidstar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter... You Pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Harmony Hagedorn. And I'm Angela Maris. From the Angel and Harmony Show on Voice America Kids. Kidstar,
1: we empower kids.
3: Have you become a member yet?
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to info at dot that's info at be now back to Chris Cooper
2: it's Chris Cooper again with uh, Sean Casemore and we're talking about how to lead motivate and inspire operational people and, Um what do you think Sean are the you know the really big opportunities uh, today for uh, leaders and uh, you know execution, as you described it earlier
3: well I, I think you know there's there's a few areas to consider relative to operations um, you, you know how do you really capitalize? Uh, on the people aspect. I mean, one thing we were kind of alluding to before break and I, and I thought about while we were on break was was the idea that, you know, people are really the horsepower of the organization. Uh, and if we can, you know, get them engaged, uh, somewhat motivated and, you know, we're gonna see them being productive. And what that means is we're gonna drive our costs down because we're going to see uh, better quality products and services come at a faster uh, pace, uh, you know, as a result. So there's a few things to, you know, I think are the opportunities for those leading today. The, the first off is you know considering how to best manage and integrate in uh, align various generations, you know that we've we've never had, uh, I guess, really, predominantly three different generations in the workforce today between baby boomers, Generation X, and millennials, and and there's there's more to come. And as the millennials kind of evolve into the workplace, their approach, their style is quite different than the baby boomers. So leaders really need to understand the different generations and use that to their to their advantage. You know, for example. Uh, the millennials today are, are quite uh, receptive to teamwork. Uh, they they prefer to work in teams and groups, and by doing so, they have you know they bring forth new and creative ideas. So you know that's something that is kind of a, a key point for any leader of operational folks to be aware of. How can I create stronger team bonds? Uh, the second is really you know the idea of building rather than just culture, kind of a community um, around the business. Again, if you you. My previous point about the different generations, think about the idea that younger generations today, millennials specifically, really like working with others. You know, you can create this community where they actually want to come into work. You know, I recall early in my career going into a a factory when I was um, working in college and, and going in and you know you'd know a couple people your age but other people would be older and people didn't really talk to one another it was hot it was sweaty and i i just remember thinking wow this is this is why i'm going to school because i don't think i could manage in this environment well wouldn't you know as soon as i graduated i spent probably 12 of those 17 years working in a factory type environment as, as a leader. But what I was able to bring to those situations is my realization that I want people to, to get along well, to feel good about their accomplishments, even, even if they don't seem like they're anything significant. Because at the end of the day, everybody works, you know, to, to build a life for themselves. And the third and the last one is the idea of technology. You know, as we become more adept at technology, you know, integrating that into the environment. You know, I, I meet with a lot of companies who are, You know, I I did some work recently with a company that's a marketing firm relative to their business strategy. and, And we spent some time talking a little bit about technology and they're very adept at saying, you know, we're using instant messaging and we're using, uh, you know, various platforms and social media to facilitate discussions. But if you go into the operational portion of any manufacturing business, as an example, or distribution business, you won't find the same willingness to invest in technology. And if you look at companies like, um, I think Home Depot, there was recently an article where they've got a social media software in place that facilitates communication between the stores and their warehouse and distribution facilities. So there, you know, there is a slow evolution in that direction. But again, I think a lot of operational uh, organizations are focused more on just trying to manage the tasks versus building that community and capitalizing on technology.
2: That's really, really (coughs) very interesting. That kind of uh, you you, you articulate it beautifully, and, uh, and it it kind of fits absolutely spot on with uh, you know some work that I've done and the, the thinking and, and and the nature of those kinds of people. You, you're right; they 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 don't necessarily and naturally embrace technology and need 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 help and direction with it from others. And uh, it's the same potentially around uh, community because uh, it's not always there that that ex- uh, extroverted people aspect is not always there dominant profile.
3: Yeah, and, and if I could add uh, you know, to your point, Chris, on the profile, you know, if you if you do work with any of the different assessments from Myers-Briggs to DISC, and I mean, there's a plethora of them, you know, my work has found that a lot of people in in leading operations today are, are of a strong, dominant, direct type of personality, you know, because they get stuff done. But if you think about the idea of what younger generations desire, which is really more of that feeling of, of being part of a community, it would suggest that somebody who's more influential, who's more people-focused – is maybe the better profile of a leader in the future in order to engage the younger generation. So these are the kind of considerations that business owners, regardless of size, uh, you know, in, in executives need to start thinking about, do they have the right people in the positions Are the criteria for leaders of yesterday, still the criteria uh, for leaders of tomorrow. Mm, re-
2: really good, uh, really good point there. I remember having a, 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 a a, a team development um, session I was running with an organization and um, some some people were complaining about the uh, to, a, to a very operational individual about you know, his need to dot the I's and T's on processes and uh, he, he wouldn't book those processes, he would only only follow them and, and he suddenly came out with uh, something that was quite interesting and said, look, you know, if you want to give me a different process to adopt, I'll follow it. Uh, and because uh, we were saying, well, actually, are other processes um, suitable for what you're doing today? Do we need to actually change them? And he was like, look, I don't know how to change them. but give me a different process and I'll just just follow it. I'll just get it done. Yeah, uh, it was quite interesting that, um, you know, he's, he's clearly brilliant, gets lots done as long as he's got the process to follow. Um, but he needs someone else to define that process.
3: Yeah, and, you know, that that brings up, you know, two thoughts. Um, the one I'll mention is, is you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was working with a group of people and we were, it was kind of a little session on business improvement. And we were talking about, you know, improvements in process and, and integrating technology. But the one thing I brought to mind in our discussion really went in this direction is that, you know, behind everything is, is people. E- even if you buy what you believe is the best software in the world, some person or a series of people... Were the ones that decided that was the software. It's going to be people that train others on how to use it effectively or otherwise. It's going to be people that decide whether they use it to the extent possible. You know, you can have the best process in the world, but if people don't follow it, it's not worth the paper it's written on. And and so one of the the practices I've been a, a kind of a practitioner of, and now I use in in my um, work with organizations today, is is the whole philosophy of lean and the idea that you know through lean as much as some people say well you know lean is a strictly a process that is only for manufacturing which is wrong Uh, you know lean is a great way it builds collaboration and it really is built on the premise that through the people and the stakeholders involved in, in doing things, you know, through processes, we can find a better way to do things. And, and we can find that way together. And by doing that, we create engagement at the outset rather than somebody in a corner office writes a procedure, hands it out, some people like it, some don't, some understand it, some don't. And then we wonder, well, why aren't things being done efficiently or effectively?
2: Mm. So is, is this a, a you know, good way to... Uh, for operational employees to, to help them engage with change.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the, the idea, I've got a client in, in the U.S. that we, we've done quite a bit of work on Lean. And, you know, they'd never, they, the employees had never been exposed to Lean. And we didn't go in waving a, a flag that said, here's Lean. What we really did is put them into cross-functional groups to identify how to improve processes. And they've seen significant, you know, increased capacity where they get, have people standing around as to, wow, we used to need, we thought we needed more people, now we need less. But then you simply look at how do we redeploy those people? And how do we build more cross-functional teams? So, Lean is a tool that's been around forever. To me, it's not so much focused on you know, improvement of process as much as it is building a more collaborative and empowered uh, group of people. And that is the way to the future because if you think about the different generations, the different people, they really ha- need to have something that facilitates uh, you know, a collective interaction. It's going to be difficult to take somebody who's fresh out of school and sit them beside you know, somebody who's maybe heading into the latter years of their career who's going to want to tell them the way it is um, because you're not going to get them interested. They want to bring new and fresh ideas. Well, what's the forum for that? And and that's where I find lean. The approach to lean, the idea of kaizen events, is is a great uh, pathway, if you will, to that.
2: Do you, want, do you want to just? I mean, would you like just briefly explain how lean works? I mean, was it does does lean stand for something?
3: Or? Sure. I and mean, well, lean is really a philosophy. It's been around for decades. Uh, it was evolved out of the Toyota. Uh, manufacturing, uh, process relative to manufacturing cars. But it, it, what I like to do is give my own twist to it. Uh, you know, if you think about the idea of lean and you picture an individual, uh, you know, you can picture when they're lean, there's suddenly their waste shrinks. But the idea is that we, we take waste really out of uh, the picture, whether it be, again, an, you know, an operation, a call center, whether it be a manufacturing facility. And the way we do that is really focusing on what our customer values. You know, I often ask people to explain how they do something. And when they're done explaining it, I say, okay, now picture I'm a customer and I'm asking you the exact same question and realizing as a customer, I'm only going to pay for what I find is valuable. How would you explain that to me again? And what invariably happens is people end up cutting out bits and pieces. Well, I'm not going to mention that because they might not want to pay for that. That's really the premise of lean. It's getting rid of the waste. So we focus solely on delivering value to the customer. And you can apply that in any organization. I've actually recently done quite a bit of work with companies relative to administration. You know, how do we reduce the paperwork and the flow and the – your mounds of paper across the office while improving communication and lean is a great way to do that so if anybody does want to research obviously you can google lean there's a great history on it but there's a lot of uh, research being done in the area of lean and I actually published monthly uh, for the american manufacturing uh, excellence association where we talk about lean so you can always sign up uh, ame to their website and, and they're really focused on lean heavily
2: Excellent, and I guess that with lean, you know, it sounds like it's all about trimming. But I imagine if you focus on what your customers value, sometimes you might actually need to boost up in some areas. Is that correct? Yeah,
3: absolutely. And, and you find those gaps. You know, it, it's interesting. I I just this morning before we uh, we connected here, I was uh, you know I have a, a client that I'm going to do some work for in February, and, and we're going to do some work with some of their dealers who are selling their product. And they said, okay, so here's what we think you need to be talking to the dealers about. And I said, well. Why don't you let me call the dealers and ask them what they think we should talk about? And they say, well, you know, that makes complete sense. You know, we often focus on internal versus external. You know, if we really want to understand what our customer values, why not engage with them to really understand what is it they appreciate from our product or service? And once we have that information, it really allows us to identify what's wasteful and what's not.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember... A few years ago, running some series of programs with a insurance group, and in the in the the different facilitated workshops, um, people were saying that you know the absolute top um, kind of value for their clients was uh, the level of commission they received. Uh, So we then went, I then got them to go and do a piece of research, and actually rather than make the assumption, I, I gave them a little methodology and said, go and speak to your brokers and find out where on the hierarchy of Uh, of their values um, sat commission and uh, we then met again about a month later and they were all laughing because they'd they'd found out that on average um, commission was actually only about the fifth most important thing (laughs) and they'd been focusing on it as number one.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, I I was just because I'm amidst writing this book, you know, there's a lot of ideas floating around, but I just wrote something yesterday, kind of along the same lines, that if you look at the research around why people leave their jobs, you know, money is is not one of them. I mean, it's in there, but it's not high up on the list. And yet, the same research I'd seen uh, that looked at asking supervisors and and business leaders why they think people left, you know, money was a number one answer. So, it shows this clear disconnect. Um, You know, and again, if you... If you do any research on younger generations today, money is not as important. I mean, it is to an extent for all of us because, again, we all go to work just to try and support our lifestyle. But it's not a predominant motivator. When you start at a job with any company, you know what the wage is. So clearly you're comfortable to accept that wage. The only thing that can happen is you feel you grow faster than your income. But that aside, there's a lot of other things you look for. How, do you get along well with other people? Do you feel like people empower you to make decisions on, their own, on your own? Or do you get treated like a, a soldier? You know, the, the hierarchy of most companies today is really built on the hierarchy that came from the, you know, the, well, the Industrial Revolution and the hierarchy of management that came from the Industrial Revolution came from the army. That's where they got the idea that we've got leaders upon leaders upon leaders and way down somewhere below. Are all the people who are actually the one that are delivering value each and every day?
2: Wonderful. There was uh, somebody was telling me they were interviewing, and uh, it was a, a young person they interviewed. And the, 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 well, they asked them if they got any questions, and the question that came back was, uh, "You know, could you could you explain to me how your company will help to make me a better person?" <laughs> uh, and I thought that was a really great, a really great question. And uh, you know, they said that was how they were they were evaluating the different opportunities that they came and they would work for the company that could help make them the best person.
3: Yeah, and, and again, it just reinforces the different perspective. I, you know, I'll just tell you here briefly, um, I, I recall early in my career, I sold cars while I was in college and I came home one night, I was a little frustrated, the owner had been upset with me because I think I had sold a car for less than he had wanted. And I said to my father, he you know, said, what's wrong? And I told him and he said, well, you think you're going to get paid you know, next Thursday? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, what's the problem? And I said, "Well, I'm not. I'm not doing this so somebody can criticize my actions. I'd rather them help me grow. And, and their feedback wasn't very productive for me. So it it definitely has shifted. But we're still often leading from you know our old approaches that worked you know 30 years ago.
2: We've just got a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break now. But I remember when we were planning this call, you said to me that, uh, that motivation is a component of trust, and you can only motivate those where you believe that you have their. That they believe that you have their very best interests at heart. Do you want to explain what you mean?
3: Yeah, I think just the idea that, you know, it's pretty difficult to be motivated if you don't trust the person because, you know, to be motivated, somebody's giving you feedback and and you have to trust that the feedback they're giving you is genuine and valuable. So just the idea that leaders need to focus more on being trustworthy and forming a relationship with their employees and less so on being, you know, how do I motivate? You know, that's really the wrong question. It's building the trust. And again, trust comes from building a community of people that get along well and interact well with one another.
2: I guess the distinction there is that, one, you're trying to motivate. It's almost as though you're doing something to them, where the other one is you're, doing, you're looking to do something together.
3: Yes, exactly, exactly.
2: We're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we shall, uh, should continue. And I know there's lots more uh, really interesting stuff that's going to come from uh, my conversation with Sean. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes. From the
0: boardroom to you.
1: Email info at BeMoreAchieveMore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Follow us on Twitter at
3: VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of chriscooper.co.uk. I'm with Sean Casemore. And uh, we've been talking about uh, about sort of leading, motivating and inspiring um, people. And uh, I think uh, we've finished off on the last point there about you know motivation may not be the right word because it does infer you're trying to do something to somebody and actually you know we're in this together and uh, all working towards hopefully a common goal Um, but I do want to just ask you this question might sound a little bit uh, brutal Sean but uh you know to what point do you uh try and engage with people uh to um to help them towards objectives and when do you actually decide that um, maybe enough's enough and you've got to fire them
3: well, you know I, I think again, if you go back to our earlier points around different styles, you know somebody who's a very direct style uh, w- would probably tend to have less patience uh, with people who are not of a similar style um, but without getting into the depths of psychology of individuals here's what I tell most people because I get asked that question you know I find when i'm talking with business owners or executives, you know that they're 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 looking at it from one of two ways they're they're either want to fire somebody who, you know, they really can't support that decision. It's just either a gut feel or they they don't feel they get along with the person or they're not wanting to fire somebody who, from my perspective, clearly has shown all the evidence that they're not a high-performing employee. You know, when you look at those two factors, for those people who you believe it's – you know, you've tried to motivate them. You've tried to build that trust. Um, we all know who those folks are that just aren't getting it. And I think the idea is more from the perspective of job fit and comfort in the role. Um, you know, if somebody's constantly negative and, and complaining or not doing as you need them to do, Having frank conversations with them early on, to, and, and you know, putting point blank to them that it, you know, is this job something Something you're comfortable, you know, uh, working in? Is this the environment you prefer? I, again, I think a lot of people hold back until they're already upset, and now they just want to divert directly to let's terminate them. And on the flip side. You know, trying to always get a a secondary point of view or, or somebody else's perspective. If you think someone's not performing, the question I always ask is, What's your evidence of that? You know, how can you support that? And if you can line up a series of examples where they missed deadlines, they specifically didn't follow instructions, they're making mistakes, although you're trying. Very patiently to train them or show them the right way, and you know every time this does occur, you know then clearly that's somebody that's not performing so it is kind of a brutal question, and I think there's more more to it than we're we're bringing up here, but the point being that if you know I, I call them duds, if you know who your duds are, uh, get a second opinion, somebody to validate your beliefs that it's not the right fit for them uh, before you take action and on the flip side, you know having a second opinion, whether it's your h r person or you bring somebody else in. Uh, to take a look at everybody's performance periodically to get feedback on maybe who is not the best fit for the organization, but maybe you haven't noticed that. And, and the last thing I'll mention is therein lies the challenge for most executives. The organization or their teams are so large that they really rely on their frontline leaders to provide them this feedback, and their frontline leaders may have their own perceptions. So I may say to you, John's not performing well, but maybe in reality... I just don't get along well with John. So you need to have a method and a way to validate these assumptions and beliefs in order to support your decisions. Yeah, it's a good point because
2: sometimes it might just be that John's not wired uh, like you are and, and mm-hmm. you, you see things from a different perspective, but it's, uh, your perspective is not always the right one, is it?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Uh, you also shared with me a view when we chatted that inspiration comes from within and that people are inspired if you provide them with the opportunity to realize their own potential. Uh, do you think uh, this is always the case? And how do you get through to those who you struggle to help them realize their own potential? Maybe uh, that's a little bit like the, uh, you know, the older generation, they're not being very happy to learn from the new.
3: Yeah, and I think if you look at inspiration, it does it does really come from within. And, and you know, one of the questions that is not often asked in an interview process. I mean, even I, I do quite a bit of work in in helping organizations find you know executives to bring in. But one of the questions that's often not asked is what does inspire you? What kind of environment do you prefer to work in? And you have to watch the questions because if somebody's just looking for a job, they can come up with the answer they think you'll prefer to hear. But you, you know, if you really get to understand your people, you understand what drives them you know, what, what's, you know, a little bit of the basics about their personal life, you know, not digging in too deep, obviously, uh, then you really start to create this portfolio of information that will help you put them in the best role and in the best position of the organization. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said to, again, business owners and executives, why is, why is John, I'll just use the same dummy name here, why is John doing that? It seems to me that he's more creative or he would prefer to be in another area? Have you Have you ever asked him where he would like to work or, or what, where he would like to go in his career? And I, I think we need to ask that question more often than not, and we need to really be conscious of the response and try and help people move into roles uh, where they are comfortable. And for those who don't seem comfortable in any role, again, it provides the information and evidence to support that maybe this isn't the right job fit for them.
2: Mm. It's quite Quite. I've had one or two conversations with, with people of late who uh not necessarily happy in the role, uh, and I would describe them as quite operational you know very very productive when they're motivated, really productive, and uh, you know get uh, things done uh, to a very high level um however, what they haven't done and I'll find very difficult to do is to take the time to think about what actually would motivate and inspire and, and where they're heading and I think you know sometimes it needs someone else to help them, I think uh, with that with that thinking because it doesn't necessarily come naturally um, to to some of these people I've found.
3: Yeah, no, and you know, you, you raise a good point that, you know, if I think back on my career as I moved from, you know, company to company every three, four years, You know, there was always a reason I I didn't really see eye to eye with my boss. Maybe I felt limited in my role, but it wasn't until I kind of stopped and realized maybe the problem isn't these businesses or these bosses or these roles as much as the problem was with me. I'm not doing really what I want to be doing. You know, when I launched my company about six months in, you know, we were, you know, the business was starting to grow and I had several clients. And I I remember I said to my wife, "We, we are in deep trouble. And she said, "Oh my, you know, oh my gosh, what, what's wrong?" And I said, "Well, I, I'm six months into this, and I can tell you right now, I can never work for another person again." Um, and 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 she said, "Well, what if this doesn't work out?" And I said, "Well, that's the that's the trouble we're in." So I'm just letting you know because my wife, she stays home with the boys. It's uh, uh you know, I'm kind of out there. She does help me quite a bit in the business and uh, on the side, but uh, you know, she's kind of a, a stay-at-home, work-at-home uh, supporter. So uh, w- when I gave her that feedback, she was a little bit nervous, but. Uh, So I guess people have to be more conscious of of what they want to do. And I think the biggest challenge, again, if I look at different generations, I would say those who are baby boomers were willing to take a job and Work in a job for their career for the stability it provided, whereas again millennials not so much they 're not, not so much willing to do that, and so we need to understand that and, and really get to understand people so we can really put them in the best position that will inspire them you know, i 've I've worked um, i 've got a client just a, a small company, maybe about twenty employees and they 've got this this person in the front office and, and i 'll tell you if she ever quits there i 'd hire her because she 's just energetic happy, excited, and she kind of keeps the business owner in, in his, uh, he's got, it's kind of a family business. He keeps, she keeps everybody in line and connected and feeling good. And I said to him, I said, you need to hold on to her because she's the glue, at least on the front end of your business here. So, so you know, and, and when I ask her why that is, she enjoys what she does because she gets variety in her role. She's not just doing one thing. She's empowered to make decisions when the owner and his sons aren't around the business. Uh, people in the shop floor come to her for advice. And feedback, and she's again empowered to do so. So she's got a great fit in that role and in that company, and therefore she's somebody who's energetic and and really invigorating to be around. Fantastic! It, it makes a it
2: makes a huge difference, doesn't it? I, I was I've got a very large uh, company. I'm meeting in in January, and uh, and I'm meeting the chief executive, uh, and he's PA. I mean, where where sometimes I find you know some some PAs are really really helpful and and some maybe a little bit standoffish, she was, her, her, her communication with me, is just, has been absolutely beautiful. I felt engaged and inspired just to, just dealing with her. And, uh, she also told me when I, I spoke to her, you know, how wonderful the, the man I was going to meet was. And, uh, you know, the, the the respect she had for him and how great it was to work with him. And I've got an amazing feeling about that organization. I'm so excited to go and talk to them. And it was the, uh, the PA that uh, started that off. I've not spoken to him yet.
3: Yeah, well, and I think what, what would be interesting is, you know, if you were to, when you go to meet her, you know, and you'll probably spend a few minutes or maybe out, you know, seated out by her desk before you meet with your contact. Ask her how she feels. She contributes to the success of the organization, and I can almost guarantee she'll have an answer. You know, and that's a key question. If you can go to anybody, particularly in operations, and say, "How do you contribute?" Yeah, I recall going up to a um, somebody who was kind of a caretaker role. They were mopping floors. And I asked him this when I was doing an assessment in an organization. I said, so I'm curious, how do you feel you contribute to the success of the business? And without even really blinking, he said to me, well, you know, Sean, by mopping these floors and putting up the signs, making sure people don't slip, I'm really contributing to reducing our lost time accidents. I thought, wow, that is powerful. A lot of people would say, well, it's just a job, you know, it pays the bills. So you really, again... You, you have to realize not everybody is fit for specific roles. And I think the leader's challenge, but as well their opportunity, is investigating what might be the rest the best role and the be- best fit for their employees. Because once you can find that and put them into that position, you're going to see that they're so much more engaged and interested and uh, in, in just naturally inspired and motivated uh, to achieve as much as they can.
2: That's a lovely question. Now. How do you contribute to the success of the business? I've actually written that down, Sean, and I've put a ring around it. Yeah. So thank you for that. I should use that one. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah by, all means, by all means. And I
2: shall remember you when I do it. <laughs> I wonder uh, what, in your view, are the simple steps that we can take to enable operational employees and really help them to improve their productivity?
3: Well, you know, I I think, again, a big question, but in general terms, if you're leading folks who are in an operational type role, you know, again, understanding first, what is it that they think is working well? What do they think is not working so well and where do they want to go in their career? You know, those three questions, again, when I started transferring through companies, I was often put into, you know, here's a new company a new team of people. They've never met me and I was always in leadership roles. So I I would schedule 20 minutes with everybody and and it became difficult. One of the teams I had was about uh, 36 people, but I scheduled 20 minutes with everybody and I sent those questions to them in advance. And when we sat down, we discussed their responses and I mean, everybody's different. So some people had notes upon notes. Other people just had a few brief comments, but the point is it drove a conversation and before I was really even beginning to do anything, beginning to pass judgment on people, Beginning to identify what our objectives should be, what's working well, what's not. I got the input from the people doing the job. That also then served indirectly to start to form a relationship where people felt comfortable coming up and, and speaking with me and asking questions and participating. I, I think the second thing really you need to focus on is with that with that in mind, and it's not difficult then to start to formulate a plan of action. Finding ways to communicate frequently with people. Yeah, I was always a fan of these um, you know kind of morning meetings, and trust me when I. Tell Tell you, I'm not much of a, a, a meeting person. I, I had one job where that's pretty much all I did, and it it drove me nuts. But you know, spending time every single day for 10, 15 minutes communicating what's priority, what's happening, and then more importantly, listening to their feedback on what they think is priority and, and what they need support in. And I think the last thing that I would really focus on then is building these collaborative teams. You know, forcing people to move outside their comfort zone, to work with others, you know, both inside the team and with other teams because it it makes people naturally feel empowered when you put them in a group of people and say, here's a challenge or here's an opportunity. What do you think we should do about it? I'm going to give you some time and then I want you guys to present to me your ideas and specifically the actions you think we should take.
2: Great. Some excellent points in there. Um, Lots of, uh, lots of communication and collaboration. Um, I think those are really important Words now. I've just got a few minutes uh, left until we close. Um, probably just about uh, about three. And I just wondered if you've got any tips for people who are maybe you know coming out of life and uh, like you set up a, setting up a, their own business or thinking about it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I the way I and I maybe look at life a little bit differently. But we're all on this this uh, earth for a limited time, and unfortunately, we don't know how long that will be. So every day that you're not pursuing something you want to to pursue, to me. Uh, is kind of a waste of a day. Now, not everybody thinks that way. And my wife often thinks I'm crazy. But that being said, um, you know, I, I think the key for me was really setting a plan. So I, I didn't just, you know, quit cold turkey. I, I decided what I was going to do about two years out. Uh, I, I contacted some people and started doing some stuff on the side because I wanted to know and feel comfortable that I could achieve what I wanted to achieve, that I could earn income from it. I started to save money. Uh, Put money away in the bank. I I started working with uh, different people who were in my field through coaching and mentoring type relationships to, you know, help me really understand what I should be preparing on. And I really I started to do a lot of work as far as networking and reaching out to others and being forthright about what my plans were. And that's a little risky because you're still working, but uh, it it worked out very well. I planted a lot of seeds that I was able to, uh, you know, then capitalize on, if you will, once I did launch. So I think the key is having having plan. Uh, you know, in in working that plan and really, you know, reaching out to other people who you think can support you in that journey.
2: Fantastic. Tremendous advice that. And if you had a sort of a message or two with regards to operational employees before we leave, um, a final message, what would that be? Uh, yeah,
3: I think the key is, and you can you can uh, catch this on my website as well. There's an ebook on the top of my website called uh, "Build a Business Your Customers Value," and it really capitalizes and, and captures a lot of the ideas we've been talking about in much more depth, including questionnaires and assessments. You know, it's really thinking about how can I engage others, and to engage them, I really need to understand their world, uh, what motivates and drives them. Uh, and then I need to use that to my advantage to build a working community and environment that they feel quite comfortable in. If you can achieve that, you're going to have operational people who are quite engaged uh, and quite interested in uh, participating.
2: Wonderful. Sean, that was uh, t- tremendous uh, talking to you, and uh, I certainly picked up some uh, some good ideas and, and thoughts on that, uh, and I've been around the block a few years on this <laughs> myself, so I think it's, it's great to, to hear some fresh ideas and thoughts, and and uh, if you want to find out more about Sean, uh, go to casemoreandco.com. Co. com. That casemore c a s e m o r e and co com. Um, I believe Sean's also got a new uh, product, uh, a PDF, um, and uh, and uh, is it audios?
3: Sean? Yeah, an audio book, an audiobook and e-book on, uh, titled The Journey to Success. They'll be coming onto my store here in the next couple of days.
2: Well done. And uh, if you've got any questions or feedback, please send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And uh, on next week's show, um, I'm it's uh, Boxing Day, and I shall be having a little holiday. But one of the shows that, um, I, when I think back on that, people found incredibly helpful was – a show with hillary wilson on career success and as you get into the new year you might be thinking about your career and how you can really shine and perform in 2015 so i'm going to re- replay that show um, so uh, i won't speak to you again i don't think until uh, in the new year and um, so i wish you all a tremendous um a christmas break and a new year and i hope that 2015 is a tremendous year for you and i shall be doing everything i can next year with some more great guests to help you achieve that and so i wish you well thank you
1: thank you for listening to be more achieve more Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for
3: listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more
1: information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.